Our scripture lesson today is taken from the King James Version of the Bible, so if you're following along in the Pew Bible, it will, um, it will be slightly different. But I'm reading from Romans 10, verses 14 and 15 and 17. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. This is the word of the Lord. So at Westminster this fall, we are focusing on the history and role and mission of our congregation as we celebrate um, our 75th year as a congregation. And today I want to focus on something that has been central to Westminster's history and is dear to my heart, namely preaching. I want to preach about preaching, give a sermon about sermons. Now this may sound, it does feel a bit awkward, and it may sound a little bit like inside baseball, but since the Nats are not going to be in the playoffs, (laughs) this is the only baseball that some of us will get to talk about for the next few weeks. In the resonant words of the King James Version of the Bible, the Apostle Paul writes, How shall they preach? How shall they hear? And what shall they preach and hear? Let us pray. Flaubert once wrote that human speech is like a cracked kettle on which we beat our tunes for bears to dance, when in reality we long to move the stars to pity. Lord, as we gather around the cracked kettle of human speech, the human speech of a sermon, may your spirit use our speaking and our listening to move the stars. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I've always loved to preach. Two weeks ago, I told you about the small working class Presbyterian church in which my grandmother served as a member of the session for virtually all of her adult life. Because the church was so small and she was a member of the session, I was asked to preach a sermon in that church before I was old enough to drive. It was one of only a handful of times that I've actually been chauffeured to a preaching engagement. (laughs) It all goes down after that. Because of the civil rights movement that came to my hometown of Memphis when I was a young teenager, And because of the role African-American preaching played in that movement, I was exposed at an early age to some of the most historically significant preaching 
in our nation's history. As a junior and senior in high school, I would attend the 830 service in my suburban congregation and then drive 20 miles into the heart of the city to listen to one of the great, long-serving, scholarly preachers of the Presbyterian Church in the final years of his ministry. I have always loved to preach, and that love has done nothing but grow in this congregation. In the summer of 2004, when I preached my first sermon in this sanctuary, prior to the congregation meeting at which you voted to call me as your pastor, as soon as I walked into the sanctuary, I felt an energy and an enthusiasm that I have rarely seen in Presbyterian worship. First of all, you all sat up near the front, <laughs> which never happens in a Presbyterian church. You greeted one another, you sang, you laughed, you prayed. The choir sang a terrific anthem and the children came from the four, from the four corners of the sanctuary for the children's sermon. The sanctuary had not yet been renovated in those days and the pulpit was actually, I believe, three feet higher than it is now. It was much more elevated, but it was also more forward. So I was higher but closer to the pews. But despite that elevation, I just felt like I could reach out and touch you all. But even deeper than your energy enthusiasm, what I most noticed that day and believed about you until Casey just asked the question is, is that you listened. <laughs> you listened or seemed to listen. <laughs> and you have seemed to listen ever since. I love you for your listening. It is what keeps me going. In one of the final chapters of Paul's letter to the church at Rome, he rises to eloquence when he describes the necessity and purpose of preaching. He builds an argument from point A to point D. Point A, how shall they pray without believing? Point B, how shall they believe without hearing? Point C, how shall they hear without a preacher? And point D, how shall they preach without being sent? Paul sums this statement up by saying, faith comes by hearing. By listening. For Paul, the necessity and purpose of preaching is the generation of Christian faith. Faith comes by hearing. Now to be clear, though our faith does come by hearing, the initial human experience that leads to faith often comes to us prior to hearing. Hearing a sermon is often a bridge between an experience that we have and the faith to which that experience eventually leads us. For example, our faith may begin when we pass through a tough time or experience the fragility of life 
and at the same time receive the love and care of other people through whom we may later come to realize we are actually seeing the face of Christ. Sometimes our faith is born at the table. We share a meal with a husband or a daughter back from deployment. When we dine with a dear friend, when we share bread and wine, body and blood at the table of the Lord, when thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, faith can come at the table. Sometimes our faith is born through nonverbal acts of worship, silence, gesture, the act of coming forward to receive ashes on the forehead or bread and wine. Sometimes faith arises when, like the Good Samaritan, we rescue someone from the side of the road. Or like the innkeeper, we nurse someone back to health for months or years. Or like the man on the side of the road, we allow ourselves to receive the ministrations of the Samaritan or the innkeeper or both. Sometimes our faith emerges through prayer, expressed directly through our weekly resuscitation of the Lord's Prayer, or indirectly with sighs too deep for words. Prayers of joy at the birth of a child. Prayers of yearning through the deep, dark night of the soul. Prayers of anger. Prayers of confession. Prayers of grief. Prayers of celebration and triumph. Is there any longing and anticipation, Bart writes, which is not potentially a calling upon God? A calling upon the name of Him who reveals God to be God. Faith can come through our calling upon God. It comes through prayer. And sometimes our faith comes when we behold the sheer beauty of nature. The sunrise in Hawaii, the snowstorm in Maine, the stars in space, the cool of the desert evening. Paul's words can lead us to gather up all of these experiences that are the starting points of faith and to bring them into the sanctuary and seat them next to us into the pew and help them out of their jacket and open the hymn book and sing and worship with them and listen through them. Listen to the characters that we encounter in the Old and New Testaments. Listen to the ideas that emerge from the letters of Paul and John and Peter and James. Listen to the protestations of Job. Listen to the dark philosophical ruminations of Kohelet in the book of Ecclesiastes. Listen to the laughter of Sarah. The quick thinking and acting of Rahab. The moral fiber of Ruth. The courage of Esther. Listen to the narrative of events large and small, the crossing of the Red Sea led by Moses to the appropriate burial for the grandsons of Saul 
engineered through the one woman vigil by Rispa. Listen to the laws and what they reflect about the shape and form of life that God intends. Listen to the Psalms and the varied spiritual experience to which they give voice, poetic and musical. And listen as the minister does his or her best to put you in touch with these scriptures. To put you in touch with the people and events and the ideas and expressions which radiate from the pages of scripture across the centuries. Listen and see if what you hear can become a language and a vocabulary to describe your own experience. And if over time your initial experiences of faith can grow into a full-blown commitment, a full-blown way of life, all through sustained listening. Faith comes by hearing, by listening. Since, since faith comes by hearing, how then shall they preach? I want to be clear here that there is no one way that the Bible prescribes somebody like Casey or Patrick or me to give a sermon. John the Baptist greeted his hearers with words of critique. You brood of vipers, who taught you to flee the wrath to come? How's that for a call to worship? <laughs> Jesus preached through parables. The Good Samaritan. The prodigal son, a sower, went out to sow. And he preached through some striking antitheses or opposites, contrasts. You have heard it said, but I say to you. God commanded any number of biblical spokespersons to use symbols and metaphors or actions to get their message across, to get his message across. Jeremiah pointed to a basket of figs and to a potter's wheel. Ezekiel lay on his left side for 390 days and on his right side for 40 days to get his message across. Isaiah walked through the streets of the city naked. Look it up. Isaiah 20. It's there. Probably drew attention to his message. And in one of the rare and genuinely funny stories of the Bible, Paul is a visiting preacher who comes to a small town in Illinois and parents make a kid, 13, 14-year-old named Eutychus, go and listen to this visiting preacher. And this visiting preacher manages to drone on and on and on. And Eutychus is sitting in the window. And he begins to nod. And pretty soon he falls out of the window, several floors to the ground. And Paul interrupts his sermon and he goes down the stairwell and he finds Eutychus and he lays hands on him and Eutychus is healed. But that's not the end of the story. 
Paul goes back upstairs, gets behind the pulpit, continues to preach. And the text says, until the break of day. It's in there, it's in there. The Bible doesn't give us just one way of preaching. I can only say that what I try to do in my preaching at Westminster is this. I try to connect the lives we lead as best I know them in our homes, with our families, in our friendships, in our vocations of public service, in our vocations of, of other types of service, in our residence or citizenship in this nation. I try to connect our lives as we know them to the people and events, the ideas and stories, the poetry and prose of both the Old and the New Testaments. Through my preaching and teaching and through your listening and hearing, I hope to equip us both to become more familiar and more readily draw upon the biblical tradition that has been passed down through the ages in the church so that its language and its life become a natural part of our language and life. In sermons, I am trying to create a space, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, moral, for a connection to develop between our lives and Scripture. A connection through which God will breathe life and generate, if not increase, our faith. A connection out of which we can then decide in our own relationship with God what we are to do in the situations that come our way. I try to create a space for God to make a connection with you. Though God is not dependent on my efforts to create that space or to make that connection. All the while, I trust that what you do from that connection ultimately lies between you and God. That is how I answer Paul's question, how shall they preach? And finally, what is it that we preach and hear? The last phrase of Paul's passage reads this way. Hearing comes by the word of God. This phrase, the Word of God, points to a gap that exists between the human words of a sermon and the God in Christ to which those human words point. What we preach and what we hear is the human word. It is God's action that makes the human words of the sermon become God's Word for you. As the prayer, of, prayer for illumination today indicates, whenever people like me are called to stand before a congregation and preach, we truly beat our tunes on a cracked kettle drum, hoping, hoping against hope, that a few bears will dance. Sometimes, to our utter surprise, 
not only to bear stance, but stars are moved. When that happens, the human speech of a sermon becomes God's word in its hearing. I spend about 25 hours a week in in my teaching and preaching ministry, from the preparation to leading the classes to working on the sermons and research, everything that goes into it, it's about 25 hours a week. Over the years, I've learned that no matter how much study and effort I put forth, when the stars are moved, it is strictly and solely God's doing. Hearing comes by the word of God. Such hearing is an absolute miracle to behold. It is a bit frightening, like all miracles are, but it is beautiful. 